What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode number 42 of Not What It Seems. Uh, still another week without baseball here. Um, nothing really happening with the CBA stuff. Um, there are some updates uh, that I could just fill you in on a little bit. Um, so, so far, there's not really been much traction, like I just said. Um, you know, one of the biggest things being discussed, I think, uh, from reading a few articles is the amount that players who are under team control should be paid. So that's the guys who are like going through arbitration. Um, right now, they usually have like seven years until free agency. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, they think they should be getting paid more, which is probably true, even though they do get paid more than the average person does uh they're out there every day 162 games and um just like the guys who are getting 300 million dollar contracts so um that's apparently one of the big issues they're discussing um a lot of insiders i've read believe that um at the very least spring training is going to get delayed possibly the regular season um they don't think it's going to be as bad as it was back in like the 90s um I think from what I've been reading, it looks like both sides would prefer to not miss that many regular season games. But, um, you know, at this point, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, this is just not ideal at the moment. Obviously, you, we wish there would be more conversations happening, um, but it is what it is. And uh, we'll see what's going to happen. But moving on to some player stuff, um, obviously, right when this ends, there's going to be a lot of signings and trades and stuff just like there was right before it happened um so there's some news in the free agent market um carlos correa has just changed his agency and he just hired scott boris as his agent uh he quoted said boris corporation offers the highest level of baseball expertise and proven experience which is Definitely true. Anyone who has paid attention to free agent signing um, knows that Scott Boris has signed some of the biggest free agents, uh, has had them signed, whether it was Steven Strasburg, um, I believe Max Scherzer had Scott Boris. A lot of big, big players have used Scott Boris before. He's definitely the most well-known agent in the baseball world. Um, so does this mean Correa is going to get more than he would have? Um, probably not. I think he was going to get a lot of money no matter what, but um, this, it could offer him more choices. Possibly Boris is known to be a guy who can convince teams that aren't willing to do things uh, to do them. And uh, uh, on a side note here, Dylan Cease apparently also just hired Scott Boris to be his new agent. Obviously Cease is not a free agent. He's only in his going into his fourth year with the White Sox. Um, but last year, he had career bests. Uh, he had a 3.91 ERA, 12.3 strikeouts per nine, and he had 32 starts. So he started every five days. Um, and like I said, at this point right now, he has four years left until free agency. Um, in this scenario, you can really only look at this part of it as Cease is probably not going to get extended by the White Sox. Uh, most guys under Boris do not sign extensions before they hit free agency. Uh even when Boris was, uh, uh, he was in charge of Strasburg's contract. Um, 
Strasburg got to free agency and then re-signed with the Nationals. It was not an extension. So, um, you know, we, we see this with a lot of guys that Boris is in charge of uh, or that he works with, uh, whether it's Juan Soto uh, is another example of a guy that Boris covers and the Nationals obviously want to extend him, but he hasn't done it yet. Uh, and that's probably because Boris is his agent. So, excuse me. Um, we'll see what this does. Um, obviously, Boris is going to get Correa a lot of money. Not that Correa wasn't going to get it, like I said, but, um, you know, I think that Correa saw what he wanted to do and he knows that Boris is the best at it. So um, he thought that that was the best option for him uh, moving forward there. All right. So now we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into um, all-star voting. And um, obviously we're in the off season, so no one really talks about all-star voting at the time, but um I kind of want to talk about like how much emphasis is actually put on guys when they are all-stars, like how much it means to be an all-star. Um, and, you know, in my opinion, oftentimes people talk like someone who was an all-star, like when they're talking about someone's career, like, oh, well, he was an eight-time all-star or something like that. Um, and to me, it's like, it's a cool selection and all, but that means you were good for half a season. It doesn't mean you were good the whole year. Um, obviously, like if it's a great player, most cases he's going to have been great the entire season. But being it's only based off of half a season, um, I don't think that there should be that much emphasis put on it when you're like describing a player's career. Um, I think like we've seen the all MLB team implemented like the past few years. That should kind of be like more they should come up with a better system, I think, because that's also partly fans voting too, um, which I don't agree with. It should just be the player stats because uh, we've seen it kind of get skewed sometimes, whether it was a team that just won the World Series. So everybody just watched them play and they like enjoyed watching them play in October. Um, I think after the Cubs won the World Series, they had like six or seven all-stars. Not that those guys weren't deserving, but you know, did they take away spots from other people maybe because of the fan vote? That's quite possibly what happened. Um, so I think that there should be like a rule, uh, a system put in place that like at the end of a season, you should vote on who had the best overall year, not just who had a great first half. And like, I'm not talking MVPs, guys like that. Obviously, they're going to get their awards, but um you know, he's a good example, though, of a player who had a good first half and then had a really bad second half, but he was an all-star. Um, so this, I believe, was back in 2019. Uh, Daniel Vogelbach was with the Mariners at the time. So in the first half of that season, he hit 21 homers and he had an 881 OPS. So is that all-star worthy? I believe so. In the first half, you hit 21 bombs. Um, you know, that means you're on pace for 42 home runs, probably an eight something OPS. So, uh, you know, he did have a really good first half. Like there's no taking that away from him. But if you look now at his second half of that season, he hit nine home runs and had a 626 OPS. So you see the dramatic drop off of his numbers that year. Um, you know, his first half can easily be argued that he was an all-star, but he certainly was not an all-star the whole season. And again, that's no like knock on him, but that's just a, an example of a guy who has a really good first half and who's an all-star and then has a really bad second half and who's not. Um, 
you know, I think there are plenty of players who actually have better second halves than they do first halves, but they don't get the recognition as an all-star does who's named an all-star. Um, and there's also the scenario a lot of times where MLB wants to have at least one player from each team um, on the all-star team, even if their stats aren't like worthy. And, you know, I get it. You want to um, have the entire league represented. You want to have every fan base wanting to watch the all-star game. Um, but if you just having somebody on the team for no reason, um, I don't know. It just, it doesn't really make sense. Not that these guys that they do put on the team are, detrimental but you know this was a year i believe that daniel vogelback was the only mariner on the all-star team and uh again he had a first half that was worthy of being an all-star but you know there are plenty of instances where that's not the case um you know i know that sandy alcantara was an all-star one year he wasn't having a fantastic season he had a good season but it was the only marlin there uh, I believe last year there was a Tigers relief pitcher who was pretty good, but I don't know if he was an all-star. Um, so that's another reason why I don't really like saying at the end of a guy's career, like, oh, he was an all-star. Like, was he really, though? Look at his stats for the season and then tell me if he was an all-star or not. Um, I mean, here here's a list of players who were all-stars this year and probably wouldn't have been based off of their entire season. So they pretty much just had really good first halves. Um, Taiwan Walker with the Mets. He ended the season with a 4.47 ERA over 29 starts. Um, that is certainly not an all-star. Obviously, he had a really good first half with the Mets that year, this year, but um, definitely not an all-star. Um, Omar Narvaez with the Brewers. Um, he hit 11 homers and had a 7.63 OPS over 123 games. I get that he's a catcher, but, you know, 11 homers shouldn't be getting you an all-star vote with a 763 OPS. Uh, in the first half, he probably had, I don't know, five or six homers. Like, that's – I don't know about that. Uh, another guy, Matt Barnes with Boston, was an all-star this year. He ended the season with a 379 ERA, so not terrible, but I believe he lost a closer role in Boston for a little while this year, and then he was back in it for some some points. I don't know. I don't think that he should be should have been an all-star uh, if you're talking about the entire season. Um, Kyle Gibson is another one. He had a 3.71 ERA over 30 starts. So that's pretty solid. I believe that's probably his best season ever. Um, but if you look at his splits in the first and second half, he had a 2.87 ERA in the first half when he was with Texas. Then he gets traded to Philly at the trade deadline, and he had a 5.09 ERA in the second half with the Phillies. So – uh, you really see the dramatic difference there. Um, and then another guy is Yusei Kikuchi with the Mariners. Um, he was an all-star this year for the first time, but he had a 4-4-1 ERA over 29 starts. Um, so that's a big sample size there. 4-4-1 ERA shouldn't be getting you an all-star vote. Um, again, they all had really good first halves, and that's why they're all-stars. But if you're looking at the entire season, uh, you won't, you wouldn't say these guys are all-stars. And then again, this is no knock on these guys specifically. It's just kind of a knock on the system that we've gotten used to where we give guys a lot of credit for being all-stars when really they just had good first halves. Uh, and again, obviously Mike Trout, um, Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, like these were guys that were not going to have bad seasons. So like 
if you'd say they're an all-star, well, yeah, they probably were most of the season unless they got hurt or something. Um, but to me, the bottom line is like saying a player was an all-star shouldn't be criteria like where you state if he was good or not. Um, can it be like a part of the conversation? Like, sure, you could say like, oh, yeah, he was an all-star like this many times. So like he had really good, pretty good seasons in the first half, at least during those seasons. But it shouldn't be viewed as like just because he was an all-star, you should mention it. Like, are you going to, if you're talking about like you say Kikuchi 10 years from now, you're going to be like, oh, well, he was an all-star back in 2021. But if you look deeper into his numbers, he had a 4-4-1 ERA. So should he have been an all-star? I think that's the big question there. Um, and I, I think the all MLB team thing is going to continue to become more relevant. Um, and I think that it should. Um, but I really don't think that fans should be involved in voting um, because that could be biased. It's just plain and simple. I think it should just be based off of the statistics. If he was, if a certain player was the best player at his given position, over the course of a year specific uh statistically excuse me um then he should be considered he was an all-star for this season um i don't know it's all for the all-star game which is halfway through the season everything like that i just think that it kind of just needs to not be such a big reason uh why you say a player was good or wasn't good um it should kind of be die down a little bit and you should just look at the stats in my opinion all right, so moving on from the all-star stuff, um, we're going to go into the section we've been doing where we're going to talk about a team uh, in recent memory that probably should have done more than they did during the season uh, or in the postseason, however you want to look at it. So I'm actually going to do a team from this past season right now. Uh, so everybody should remember this pretty vividly. Um I'm doing the Toronto Blue Jays from last year. Um, so the Blue Jays came in fourth in the AL East. I think they had 91 wins. So that's fourth place. That just tells you how good the division actually was. Um, and they finished a game behind the Red Sox and the Yankees, a game or two. Uh, the Red Sox and the Yankees were tied. And then the Rays were in first in the division. So, you know, if you look at standings, was a disappointing season for them? Sure, but they won 91 games. Um, if you look at the National League, there weren't many teams who won that many games that didn't make the playoffs at all. So if you just look at their lineup first, um, they they had George Springer, the big free agent signee. Um, he did get hurt somewhat, but he played 78 games. Um, he had 22 homers and a 907 OPS. Uh, he kind of split time between outfield. He DH sometimes too. So uh, they were just trying to keep him on the field there. Um, then you had Bo Bichette. Um, Bo Bichette had 298 batting average, 29 bombs, 102 RBIs, 828 OPS, and he had 25 stolen bases. Uh, I think he probably should have gotten more recognition for the season that he actually had. Uh, then you had Vladdy. At first base, he had played in 161 games, 311, 48 homers, 1.002 OPS. Then you had Marcus Simeon, who played in every single game, 162 games, 45 homers, set a record for homers by a second baseman, 873 OPS. He also had over 100 RBIs. Then you had Teoscar Hernandez, played about 140 games, 296, 32 homers, 116 RBIs, led the team in RBIs, and had an 870 OPS uh, then you had Lourdes Gurriel, also hit above 20 homers, 21 homers, 84 RBIs. Uh, Randall Gritchick, 
kind of was platooning with DH outfield with Springer for the most part. Uh, he had 81 RBIs, 22 homers. Kevin Biggio uh, only played in 79 games. He really didn't look like himself. Um, I think he was probably battling injuries. Um, he should probably be back better than ever next year. Um, he only had seven homers. And then you had Danny Jansen, the catcher, pretty much the everyday catcher. Uh, he had 11 homers, 28 RBIs. So, you know, from, from those bottom two guys, you really didn't get much production. But um, for the rest of the lineup, you really did. And, you know, in my opinion, I think when you look at how the lineup was constructed, you look at Bichette, Guerrero, Simeon, Hernandez, and Guriel. Guriel and Gritchick, honestly, they, they all played above 140 games. Um, and like Simeon played 162, Vlad played 161, and Bichette played 159. Uh, getting that from your two, three, and four hole in the lineup, I mean, their, their offense was obviously not the problem uh, last year. These guys all pretty much all had like career seasons. Um, Teoscar Hernandez really broke out in a big way. Um, Gritchick kind of did his thing out there quietly. He had 81 RBIs. Uh, Guriel too, 84 RBIs. Um, so I think that their, like I said, their offense was unbelievable. Me being a Yankee fan, I saw it all the time. Um, but if you get into their starting pitching, their starting pitching was pretty damn good too. Um, so you start off, you have Robbie Ray, who was the Cy Young winner this year. Um, 32 starts, 284 ERA, 248 strikeouts. I believe that led the American League. And he had 11 and a half strikeouts per nine. So he was racking those up. Um, next best guy was probably Steven Matz. He pitched in 29 games. He had a 382 ERA, um, 8.6 strikeouts per nine. Then you had Hunjin Ryu, who was the big signing from the year before. Um he had a 4.37 ERA, but his FIP was really right around four. So not a fantastic season, but not bad either. I can know he's supposed to be the ace there, but um, I think he'll probably step up next year. I just think it's good for him to be healthy, honestly, because he got hurt a lot when he was with the Dodgers. And uh, this past year, he pitched in 31 games. So that's for a guy that used to get hurt a lot. That's pretty solid. He went and towed the slab every five days. Um, then you had Alec Manoa, who was a rookie. He pitched in 20 games. He had a 3-2-2 ERA, uh, 10.2 strikeouts per nine. And then you had Jose Barrios, who they traded for at the trade deadline and just recently extended. So he's going to be a part of their rotation next year. Um, he had a 3-5-8 ERA and a 1.095 whip uh, over 12 games. So um, if you look at their starting rotation, that honestly was not really the issue with the team either. Um, they had a Cy Young winner. They had everyone else was pretty solid. Everyone had an ERA below four except for Ryu, and he probably should have been right around four. So, um, you know, Barrios had his best season ever. Obviously, part of that was with the Twins, but he should probably still uh, even grow more next year. I think he kind of found a home in Toronto. He signed a seven-year extension. He's going to that means he likes it there. Um, obviously, Robbie Ray left now, too, but they still got some solid pieces in that rotation. Um, then you go to the bullpen. So that was probably the biggest issue with this team for most of the season. Um, you know, they had Jordan Romano at the back end. They were kind of looking for a closer for most of the season uh, after they signed Kirby Yates and then he got hurt. I believe he had Tommy John surgery before the season even started. Um but Jordan Romano uh, pitched in 62 games. He had 23 saves, a 2.14 ERA, and 12.1 strikeouts per nine. So 
once he kind of settled into that closer role, he was really solid for them. Then you had uh, Tim Meza, I believe is how you say his name. He pitched in 61 games. He had a 3-4-0 ERA. He had a whip below one, and he had 9.7 strikeouts per nine. So he was a big lefty coming out of there. Um, then you had Adam Simber, who I believe was a trade before the deadline. Um, he pitched in 39 games for them. He had a 169 ERA. He also had a whip below one. Um, so he was solid. Also, Rafael Dolis um, pitched in 39 games. He had three saves, but he had a 563 ERA. So that's kind of where you drop off after Simber. Their bullpen kind of fell apart. Um, then you had Trent Thornton was another guy. He had a 478 ERA. He pitched a lot out of the bullpen. Um, the list kind of goes on and on for those bullpen guys that weren't really good, aside from Romano, Meza, and Simber, who, again, came over at the deadline. So they really only had Romano and Meza the whole year being really good. Um, that was the issue. We, we saw them uh, fall apart a lot at the back end. So I think the Blue Jays are probably going to contend again for a wild card if not win the division and i'm saying that as a yankees fan but um they got an offense that is unbelievable they need to fix the bullpen though they really do uh, i think they keep i would keep romano in the closer role if i was them and i would kind of just piece together some other guys and if you have to put somebody else at the closer role go for it you don't have to have a set closer anymore nowadays um then you look at their bench um their bench was pretty solid too man they had santiago espinal uh, pretty much he actually played more games than Biggio did at third, but I kind of had him on the bench because he wasn't supposed to be the starter. Um, but when he did play, he had a 311 batting average, 781 OPS, uh, six stolen bases, two home runs. So not really a power guy, but he would get on base a lot. Then you had Corey Dickerson, who was also a guy they traded for at the deadline. Um, he had a 282 batting average, four homers, a 779 OPS uh, in limited action. So once he got traded over, he was pretty solid. Then you had Alejandro Kirk, who was a catcher. He would also DH some. Uh, he played in 60 games. He had eight homers and a 764 OPS. So for a guy that didn't play every day, that's pretty solid. It also wouldn't surprise me if Kirk is the everyday catcher next year. They really like him a lot. I know they have uh, Jansen and they have McGuire, who's a guy I'm about to talk about. But uh, Kirk is probably the future. He could probably hit anything you throw at him. So, but um, yeah, so going on to McGuire, McGuire played in 78 games. He was also a catcher. Uh, he only had one home run and a 654 OPS. So not a very good season from him. Um, and then you had Jonathan Davis, who played about 52 games in the outfield, but he really didn't play well. Uh, he had a batting average below 200, only one homer, four stolen bases, four RBIs. So uh, 52 games to have stats that bad, not really great. But again, he didn't probably get that many opportunities with the way the offense was um so yeah i mean in my opinion i think the blue jays could have done more uh if they had a better bullpen because it really came down to the last weekend uh, of the regular season to see if the blue jays were going to make the playoffs or they were going to have to play a playing game first uh you know there could have been a four-way tie between the yankees the red sox the mariners and the blue jays so uh you know, I think if the Blue Jays made it to the playoffs, uh, they would have been really dangerous. I know they didn't have the bullpen, like I keep saying, but if you have an offense like that and you have starting pitching like they have, you could go pretty fucking far in the playoffs. So um, if they make it this year, look out because they're going to have you're going to have to navigate a lineup 
with all these guys, they don't have any holes really except at the catcher position. But if Alejandro Kirk does what he's going to do, they don't have any holes in their lineup at all. So um, I'm interested to see what kind of moves they make for their bullpen. Um, I think that they need to make some though. And I know their GM Ross Atkins probably has that under control, but don't, let this lineup and let this pitching staff be wasted because you don't have a bullpen. Uh, I think you got to go for it. Um, you're playing in the best division in baseball, probably uh, besides the Orioles, all four teams are trying to compete at the moment. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens, but yeah, I think the blue Jays, they could have really gone far in the playoffs had they made it. So uh, look for them to really make a big jump next year though, because I think the AL East again is probably going to be the best division in baseball next year. All right, so now we're going to move on to um, throwback players who you probably don't remember were as good as they actually were. Um, so who I'm going to focus on this week is David Wright uh, from the Mets. So I'm going to look at his seasons from 2005 through 2014, um, probably his prime seasons there. He did play, I think, in a total maybe of 18 seasons. I don't know how many years. Um, but you know, being from New York, obviously everybody always compares Derek Jeter and David Wright. They were the faces of New York at the time. Um, you know, and not to throw salt in the wound, but the only real difference between them was that David Wright didn't win world series and Derek Jeter did. So, um, but man, David Wright was the captain of the Mets. I, I really enjoyed watching him. Uh, a lot of my family are Mets fans. Obviously Liam is a Mets fan. So, uh, you know, we grew up kind of going back and forth at each other like that for a little while, too. Um, but, yeah, so over these 10 seasons, David Wright averaged 144 games played. So, you know, what does that average? Maybe an IL stint each season, let's say. Uh, but when he did play during those 10 seasons, he averaged a 297 batting average, 22 homers, 90 RBIs, and an 866 OPS. He also averaged 19 stolen bases. So I think a lot of people forget that David Wright was actually a pretty fast player. Uh, he got some stolen bases. I know his legs kind of didn't really follow him at the end of his career, but he, he was solid, man. For a third baseman to hit 300 consistently like that over 10 seasons, we don't really see that anymore. Maybe you see it from other positions, but, you know, third base, Maybe you see it from like Nolan Arenado, uh, guys like that, but not very often. So I think that was uh, pretty interesting. 22 homers, 90 RBIs. Would you like the RBIs to maybe be above 100? Sure. But um, 866 OPS is all-star worthy numbers. Like I go in with all-star right now. Uh, but I'll, let's say all-star for a full season. Uh, I'll give it that. Um, yeah. And then during the playoffs, um, David Wright only played in 24 playoff games with the Mets. Um, some of them were in 2006, which might have been his rookie season, or no, 2004 was his rookie season, I think. So 2006, um, and then most of them were in 2015 when he did bring the Mets to the World Series. Uh, they ended up losing to the Royals, but um, he had an average right around 200 in the playoffs, uh, two homers, 13 RBIs. Uh, he had a 630 OPS, so he wasn't great in the playoffs, but he did have those homers. I remember one of them very vividly was against the Royals at City Field, and the crowd went nuts. I believe that was in the first inning. Uh, really memorable. And, you know, over these 10 seasons, David Wright was a two-time Silver Slugger. 
uh, two-time gold glove winner. He was an all-star seven times. If you really want to use that, I'll use it partly here. Um, and he finished in the top 25 MVP six times. Uh, again, 25, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of people. But if you look more deeper into the numbers, he finished fourth in the MVP voting in 2007. Uh, he finished sixth in 2012, and he finished seventh in 2008. So um, when you're closer to that 25 number, that's not a lot. Not, not very good uh, it's better than not being in the conversation at all but uh when he was in fourth in 2007 he had a really good season i remember in 2012 uh he had a great year and uh 2008 also so yeah i think a lot of people forget how good david wright actually was um you know he was a speedster out there for a little while third baseman don't usually get that many stolen bases nowadays either uh and again david wright was a great person uh on and off the field i i remember watching him plenty of times on tv i've been to a lot of mets games myself uh so he got what he what he wanted he didn't get the world series but he got him there one year uh and you could tell how much passion and how much leadership he gave to the team that during that season that stretch run in 2015 so um yeah, everyone look back at the career of David Wright. Look at his stats. Uh, he was a really great player. Look at small video of him because uh, he was probably one of the best Mets of all time. All right, so now I'm just going to wrap up with the stat of the week here. Um, not necessarily like a baseball stat. It just kind of has to do with baseball. It has to do with the Blue Jays being we're just talking about them. So um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., obviously on the Blue Jays right now. Um, what most people don't know, though, is that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is Canadian. Um, he was born in Montreal when his dad was playing with the Expos. So I think it's pretty interesting that uh, he was born in Canada and then he got drafted by the Blue Jays. Um, so if Toronto Blue Jays fans have any more reason to love Vlad, love him because he's actually a native from your country. So um, I think if the Blue Jays are smart, they'll keep Vladimir Guerrero Jr. there for the rest of his career uh, if they can. Um, but just thought that was interesting. So with that, I'm going to wrap up for this week. Uh, we will see you guys next week. I hope you enjoyed. And uh, hopefully we get some more CBA talks, maybe some more news to talk about next week. Um, so we will see you guys next week.